Ladies and gentlemen, we are once again locked and loaded. It is on like Voltron with award-winning storyteller, moth champion, stand-up comedian, producer, actress, shoot 'em up, Melanie Maras. Welcome to Crazy Funny Asians. Every I, I always try to make people crack up when I introduce them because it's like I'm sure they're watching me contort my body in crazy ways to try and describe and remember everything. It's <laughs> like a like a, um, a boxing champion introduction. That's that's what I'm going for every single time. I'm saying this like I've ever seen a boxing. Yes, match. you have. I'm sure you have. You've at least seen snippets of one. You're Asian. I mean, like pass through passing through at parties or something. True, true. Okay, I mean, I and I have watched Glow. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. So there you go. Yeah. 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 I, I watched the 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 preview for Glow, and I was with my daughters last night, and they were. Both of them were intrigued. I'm like, yes, when I want to start watching this. And she's like, they were both like, mm, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> they're, they're, they're in fourth grade and and, yeah. and, and kindergarten, so I'm, I'm I'm not thinking they're 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 dreaming of being pro wrestlers. They want to be princesses or whatever. Yet right like now, like a unicorn. Or, well, yeah, yeah. Well, know, I mean, I want to be. A, I wanted to be a unicorn. I still want to be a unicorn. girl. If I could be a unicorn, I'm a brony. Do you know that term? What's a brony? A bro. I'll show you my toy collection okay. later on. It's like a. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know the unicorns and I like unicorns and and my kids I like I I I kind of collect uh, little unicorns through my daughters. You'll see. Okay, all I, right. You're living I, vicariously through there. I love I love I love toys. I love all types of toys. So yes. You know, it's common amongst boys. Boys, <laughs> boys love toys. That's I mean I've 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 kind of just that's all I do is I I collect toys and I do podcasts. That's that's my life. No. Oh my God! Your wife, she's a lucky lady. She's so lucky, and she's so she's she's so enamored by all the glamour of the life that yeah. I've I've brought her to here in Hollywood. Like, <laughs> how did you meet? My wife and I. Yeah. We met. Um, and see, this is what happens when you invite a storyteller to do your podcast: is they inverse the interview. And, uh, no, I but love we. That you're like looking at your like the audience. Is Listen, excited. this is what I do. This is how we do it. You're okay? breaking the fourth wall for nobody. There's nobody on the other side. I of the break wall. the. Fo- that's my Deadpool pan. Mm-hmm. See, I go. <laughs> She's busting all my tricks out. You see, you see what I'm doing with all with the podcast. See, well, that's what happens when you do. And I didn't even realize I do that. Oh, you totally do it. I totally do do that. Doing a side for no one. For no one, but no, but I'm doing an aside (laughs) for my listeners because I'm trying to engage you here. Yeah, we're right here. Yeah, and then I say, hey, listen, you should take note to what she just said. See, that's how, I, that's but my they style. they can't see you. They can't see me, but then they, they can, can feel you. They can feel that energy they that I'm, feel the I'm like, aside. listen, guys, yeah. this is a, this is a miscellaneous brown side note. Yeah, they know. I love that she's breaking down my podcast performance as we are podcasting. Okay, <laughs> so how, how did I meet my how wife? How did you meet your wife? I met my wife. Um, I, it was my birthday and. Oh, what's, what's your sign? I'm a Libra. My birthday is September 29th. Yeah, it's coming up. Libras um, are like quite sensitive, and like they're usually sensitive, artistic, and good looking. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I did. I did another side note, and I said thank you. Usually. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so um, a friend of mine was like, "Can I bring a friend along to your birthday party?" And I said, "Is she cute?" Sure enough, she was because she ended up being my wife. Yeah, yeah. We went on one date after my birthday, and I was like, "Wow, this." I was almost upset by it because I was like, "Wow, I'm I'm done. I I'm not gonna really? date anymore." You felt that on one date? Yeah. Was this in Chicago? Yeah. Well, I feel like people are more real there. Maybe it feels different. Yeah. No. I well. I was in a place like it was it was in two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Right after September 11th, like literally right after. I had just okay. moved back from my first pilot season here in Los Angeles. Okay. With blue hair. Oh. Yeah. And then met my wife, and they just connected. And two weeks later, we were shopping for a condo together. I mean, it was Two weeks crazy. after you met? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. We, were, we were basically living together two weeks later, and then like you were living together two weeks after you met. Yeah, and then like three months later, we were we were we bought a condo in the South Loop of Chicago. Six months later, six months later. Crazy story. 
Really? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I mean, she's like a real catch. So, like, you totally trapped her ass. I, I totally trapped her ass. How did you do totally. it? Tell us your tricks. I'm the just, you know, like know. You, you just said that, you know, <laughs> Libras are sensitive, good looking, and, you know, whatever else you said. I just, I stopped when you said good looking. So. Yeah, yeah. You're like, I don't need to hear anything else. Wait, no, but like, what? Tell me, did you? No, I mean, it just, we just, you, my wife and I are the yin and yang. Like, I am the outgoing, crazy Libra, and she's the chill, quiet, Cal- calculating Libra, because we're both Libras. She's a she's October 11th, and I'm I'm September 29th. I mean, but did you put like some kind of Filipino witchcraft on her? You know, you can't. You can't sh- <laughs> How the hell else you gonna get a white girl? <laughs> <laughs> I know about those villages. Yeah, I'm saying yeah, but I mean, yeah. Is it your, was it your father? My who, dad's Indonesian. Your, yeah. your dad's Indonesian, yeah. so he got the Indonesian voodoo on your mom. And got her. Um, you got the Indonesian something. See? Um, well, so you could, basically I did the same stuff that your dad did. <laughs> no, no. Um, I don't like to be on really and truly fully honest. Is yeah. it, it was just a honest, full connection, and still to this day. I mean, it's different now because we got kids. You yeah. know, we have two kids. So yeah. But yeah. That's amazing. And she was the one. Uh, I was resigned to just stay in Chicago. And she was the one who said, hey, I had just done an equity play. Uh-huh. And kind of sad that I had to turn down non-equity friends, you know, and, and not be able to do those plays anymore. She's like, well, what can we do? What's the next step? And I'm like, well, the, the only other step really is moving to New York or L.A. And she's like, well, I don't like New York, so let's go to L.A. I've always wanted to live by the beach. And boom. So we moved, and so we've been there since. So in the valley, couldn't be yeah. further from the beach. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> For real. I know, it's right. Well, I mean, she was probably she was probably calculating. She's like, ooh, he could probably book like a series or something. We could buy a house by the beach. Yeah. But, you know, I'm still waiting for that series, so that's probably what it is. Oh but, um, no, I mean, I like, I like the valley, but... I mean, the beach is expensive, and yeah, you worry about the bonfires and the landslides and all the other craziness yeah, and when no, you live by the beach. the tsunami that's inevitably coming. I'm saying. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy here in Burbank. <laughs> this is nice. No, I'm all about the valley. I didn't want to move to the valley, actually. How long have you been in L.A.? Um, eight years. Eight years. Okay, yeah, so you've been, because you were in New York first. Yeah, I was in New York. But you were born in Indonesia. Yeah, I was born in Singapore, and then I grew up in Indonesia. See how I flipped it back? I'm going to flip it back to you. <laughs> Instead of talking about my stuff. No, but tell me about that. Tell me about growing up in Indonesia. Because that, that's always... You were like Barack Obama. Because Barack Obama did a little stint in, in well, Indonesia. Well, you know, he has his sister who's the same mix as me. Because his mom married in Indonesia. Yeah. They had a daughter named Maya who actually went to my international school. I mean, she's a lot older than me. Okay. Um, so I didn't know her. Personally. I was about to say, do you know her? Oh my God, you hang out with Barack Obama. <laughs> but yeah. No, that's... I mean, and because I, I remember reading in, in his autobiography all the different... Like there were monkeys and the whole jungle. Was that is was that part of your childhood as well? I, mean, or? I, grew, up, I grew up in the city. Okay, I'm just, um, I'm just he, making sure. You know, he might have gone to the zoo. He might have taken a trip to the zoo. No, no, no. Like he said that he, there was a lot of like stints in the wilderness with his uncle or not his uncle, his like stepdad or something. Oh yeah, maybe his stepdad. Yeah, something like that. Well, anyway, maybe I'm, I should read the biography. Yeah, I read it Instead and I'm just was... listening to you paraphrasing it. <laughs> Completely well, tell me your your <laughs> yes, it's no, true. No, but to be fair, people did have like monkeys as pets. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they'd have like a monkey in the backyard in a cage. I mean, it's horrific. Why? Um, Why would that be horrific? That sounds because it's like a monkey wonderful. shouldn't live in a cage. Well, no, a monkey shouldn't live in a small cage. Like no. if it was like a backyard with like a whole kind of like yeah. courtyard for the monkey, that'd be bomb. I yeah. think I, I'd like to do that. Like. Listen, if it was a monkey sanctuary back there, great. But most people would just had it in, like in a cage, which I think is. Quite cruel. Like, I mean, like Bubbles. Like Bubbles' situation at yeah. Michael's house was probably great. Yeah, I mean, Bubbles was doing better than those little boys, for sure. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Did we just go there? Well, we, we, we brought up pet monkeys, <laughs> and whenever we talk about pet monkeys, you're going to bring up Bubbles, because he's yeah. the famous pet monkey, I right? I think so. Bubbles has had a better life than most of us, so. <laughs> Bubbles has probably lived a better life than all of us. Yeah, I'm like, my... I had an ex-boyfriend who was, like, a musician, and he was like, you know, like, when I'm really successful, what I want to do is 
he's like, you know, Michael Jackson in his studio, he built this little um, loft area for Bubbles, and like Bubbles could just like hang out up in the loft like while he was recording. He's like, I want to build one of those for you. I'm like, why would I need to be up in a monkey cage? Like, why couldn't I be down in the studio with all the other humans? Yeah, and why? Why did he have his dream for you? Yeah, was the shared dream that Michael had for his monkey, monkey pet. Yeah, that's that's kind of strange. You're not still. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, no. I'm just making I, sure that that's I mean, why I didn't end it in that moment. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I was like, monkey? For real? Yeah. Loft? Monkey loft? Yeah. You want to give me a monkey he loft? He's really sincere, though. <laughs> he's sharing his dream with me. <laughs> Ladies, stay away from the musicians. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, no, musicians are, are bad luck. Yeah, they are. Comedians are different. See, guys who can make you laugh, it's good. Mm. For for treasury strategists, oh yeah, women for from woman, Iowa, for yeah, sure, yeah, it's the yeah. Thing but you know what? I I heard recently that like if you know if you're a performer type, then every relationship needs to have like a rock and a star, and you can't have two stars and you can't have two rocks. It is it is wonderfully one hundred percent true. And it sounds like that's why you're one of the reasons your relationship really works is because mm-hmm. one of you's the rock and one of you's the star. And she is one hundred percent the rock yeah. for sure. She's the foundation. She's the only reason why it works. Yeah, I mean, my last relationship that was a musician. It's like there were no rocks. Yeah, you, you can't have I mean? you can't have two stars. No, you, can't, you really can't. It's 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 hard. Not only because even just in your day to day, you need attention as the star. Yeah. And if the rock can't do that, if there's two stars and everybody wants attention, it's very very it's a it's a tough thing. It, it's always hard to have two people in the entertainment business as. Yeah. In a couple, I, I've I've felt, but that's why like the times that I've seen it work, it's it's amazing to me because it it ends up being that same dynamic. Though one person is more the rock and the other is the star. Yeah, I mean, in in, in a lot of cases, yeah. uh, there's very seldom two stars and it works, except with you know like when it was Johnny Depp and Winona. Oh, that was. That was that, that was definitely that was a, that was beautiful. That was Johnny Depp and every actress. He's <laughs> and, uh, every actress he's beaten and thrown phones. Oh, oh um, my gosh, Johnny Depp! This is why you can't have two stars. No, but it's true. You can't have two stars. Yeah. It's it's hard. It's and it's it's hard to have relationships in this business anyway. Cause, oh yeah, because totally. the grind of it, like just now, with because we both have just started stand-up like you've been doing it what three years years, and I've been doing it about three and a half four years and we were talking before we started about just the grind of booking shows and the grind of the comedy clubs and all the different yuckiness (laughs) and I mean there's there's a grind to it and especially when you're trying to hold down a relationship like with my wife and and my kids it's tough to be in flappers at 11 p.m. at night trying to make people laugh and buy two drinks. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But I, you know what else, though, is, like, I feel like it, it's two things, right? Because one thing is, like, I feel like if you're in a steady relationship, you can you actually have so much more energy to focus on your career, on your grind, all that stuff. Whereas it's, like, if you're out in these streets you know, you're dating, you're looking for love. It's like, that's energy you're expending that you could be putting towards your career. No, it's, it's 100%. Yeah. Because I read an article where you had said something about you discovered stand up or you'd always been a comedian, but you'd only recently discovered that you were a stand up. Yeah. And I'm in the same boat. And Stand-up for me is, I don't need to grind. I don't want to do the open mics. I don't, oh God. I don't need to. Like, if you ever want to just lose your will to live, go to an open yeah. mic. That's a recommendation for anyone. If you're like, I'm too happy, things are going too well for me, honey, go to an open mic. <laughs> lose your faith in humanity. Go, like, be like, I just want to walk out into oncoming traffic. Seriously, it's one of those things where I'd rather pick and choose what shows that I do. And I understand that there's a grind to it and you want to go up as much as possible. But quality versus quantity for me, I feel like. 
Well, yeah, and also it's like sometimes, because it's like, you know, especially when you first start doing stand-up, everyone tells you you got to get up every night. You know, you got to do these mics. you got to just do them. It's part of the trajectory. It's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it's like I would go to these mics and I would feel so demoralized that it would actually, I think it would hinder uh, my confidence on stage. And then it hindered my material and hindered my confidence in my material. So ultimately, I feel like it made me worse. So then... When did you, when was the light bulb that you're like, I'm done with this open mic stuff? I mean, pretty, pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. Yeah, so, yeah. and then it was just, just the grind of doing shows or, yeah. cause I, cause you produce a lot of your own stuff too. Like I do. Um, I mean, well, or you're part of independent productions. Yeah. I really, I, I mean, when I first started doing stand up, I, I kind of like was like, Oh yeah, let me like try to produce a show. And like I did me and, um, you know, do you know Michelle Krusiak? Mm, She's an actress who no. definitely recognizes her. I, 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 you know what? I, I, yes. Yes, yes, I you do. You should have her on this podcast. I definitely, you know, I know, I know exactly Asian. who you're talking about now. Yeah. The name just popped, and, and, and I know exactly, I can even see the face. Yes, yes, I definitely would love to have her on the show. Yeah, you absolutely should. She's amazing. So we had done, um, Jody Miller used to teach a stand-up class. I don't know if she still does. And so Michelle and I had taken this class, and you, know, you do a class at the end, you're really gung-ho, and you're like, okay, let's produce our own show, you know? And we did like one show, mm-hmm. and we were, and it, then we were both just like, okay, like never again. <laughs> um, and then I have a friend who's like a tarot card reader, and she was like, let's do a tarot comedy show. So then we produ- produced like one tarot comedy show, and then at the show she like she was like, I just found out I'm pregnant, and then like we never did another show because you needed the tarot reader to have the show. I yeah, mean, to have a tarot comedy I mean, show. And if she can't do it, because yeah, I get it. Yeah, so I, get, I think those are the only two comedy shows I've produced. <laughs> No, they but were both just like well, done. I guess when I'm because when I'm reading the stuff that you're doing yeah. online, it, it feels to me like you are you you're, you you take more control of your comedy career than most is what I'm what I mean I guess is what and that's why I when I when I see what you're doing, it feels like you're a producer or like you're you're one you're in in, in charge of because you. We are only what we, we, like, before I meet you, I'm going to Google you. Yeah. Right? And from what I read about you and what you're doing, like, you host Shoot'em Up. Right, right, right. And I thought, I put one and two together too much, and I thought that you were also a producer on the show. But even if you're just a host of the show, the, the show concept in and of itself is one of those where you're really taking ownership of your stories. And then not only that, taking ownership and then giving it and putting it out into the universe and maybe possibly making something even cooler and better because of the stuff that you're doing. And then I really admire that so much. That's part of the reason why I wanted you here because to talk about that stuff. It's really cool. Well, yeah. I mean, I just, I feel like, you know, when you're doing, you know, comedy or doing, you do, do you write as well? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say I mainly consider myself a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like when you're doing any of these You things, started out as a writer, yeah, right? Yeah, I was yep. a playwright in New York mm-hmm. uh, before I moved here. So any of these creative pursuits that we have, I, I truly feel like you are the master of your own destiny. And whatever it is that you have or whatever it is that you don't have, it is absolutely like your own. Mm-hmm. It's your own creation, you yeah. know? So it's like... I mean, that was one of the things that that that, that attracted to me to stand up was I was like, because I had kind of had this like very ugly situation happen with like my reps, mm-hmm. you know, and like somebody really fucked me over. Sure. Um, and wow, we our our <laughs> stories are really because I mean I got dropped from my agent and my manager, and that's the the same kind of trajectory where it was like I had some stupid drama where misspelling my name on the drop email. I'm like, for real? You can't even spell my name? Yeah. It, oh, yeah, my it was God. horrible. And yeah. then you started doing stand-up after that? Well, <laughs> maybe a year and six months of therapy after that, but yeah. No, yeah, it's it, like it, it took a while. It, it took, it takes a hit on well, the ego. Because, you know, because like for me especially, I don't know about you, and I mean, if you're a playwright and you're, you're getting produced and, you're, and, you're, and your work is getting recognized, and then it suddenly isn't, and you have drama with your representation and your flow of money. It's like, what, 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 what did I do? What, what's going? What did I do wrong? You know, or like, what, 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 what's going on? And it's, it's a tough. That is a tough, especially for an artist. And if yeah. you've been working already, yeah, it's it's man, that is a tough gig. Yeah, no, I've had so much drama with reps, um, and. 
Yeah, I mean, basically, I because I had done storytelling, mm-hmm. um, and then I I took this class. Like, do you know who Lauren Weedman is? She's no. like this hilarious actress. She's okay. like an amazing solo artist. She's done like eight solo shows. Wow. Uh, like she's also an actress. Like if you saw her, you would recognize sure. her. Sure. You'd be like, oh yeah, I've seen you on Arrested Development. I've seen you on so many things. Um, I took this solo show class with her, mm-hmm. and I was just. I, I don't know why I got really into this idea of doing a solo show. Uh, and so then I started to write this show and I had this like really abusive boyfriend at the time. And wow. he saw me do like a, like a 10, 10 minute snippet of it. And I remember afterwards he was just like, nobody should hear your voice. Like something's wrong with you that like you want to just live in this place and like, you know, and it was... This is New York or... This is in L.A. Oh, it was in L.A. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I mean, I did not touch that material for several months. Um, and then I, I had a theater company in New York, mm-hmm. which I mean, I'm still a part of, but it's like, how much can I be a part of it? I live in L.A. Right. It's tough. Um, but at that time, I was still going back for like our... our we'd have like yearly retreats where we'd go away and... One of the things that it's so hard to build in LA is community, and that's one of the things I miss the most about New York. And like coming from a theater background, like you just have this feeling of community, right? And Chicago like, was the same way totally. for me. It was like this. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm it, it's funny because I, I, I'm, I don't want to even talk about it, but it, it, it's like that Chicago community was the the only reason that I'm here. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm just, it's too much. Yeah. And like, it's like the support, the love. Yeah, it's like, family. Yeah, it's family. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that was exactly what my theater company, I mean, that's the reason I started writing, mm-hmm. you know, it's because my theater company gave me all the encouragement. They gave me all the tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was such an exceptional experience, you know, and, and there was just so much love there and to walk into a place and feel like everyone knows you so well and they love you so much and mm-hmm. they support you so much. It's just something you don't often feel in LA. Well, and you know, that's part of why I have this podcast. Yeah. You know, is because LA is a tough place to have that type of community because we're all so spread out. Yeah, totally. No matter where it is. Like, I'm I'm lucky here in Burbank because we have a cluster of, I have a cluster of, you know, Asian-American homies that I've worked with in comedy that kind of live in the same, they were the first few guests of this, of this podcast, but at the same time, it's still very hard as in living in L.A. to have that sense of community. Yeah. So for me, like, connecting with you even here for just a couple of hours and talking with you and, and sharing your story here is is a wonderful way to connect because now I want to produce shows with you because I'm like, man, this, no, because our, our stories are so similar Yeah. because like, I remember, okay. In, in one of the other episodes I had, a, um, John, John Briones, who's been, he was on, uh, the Emmy award winning Gianna Versace sh- series and all this other stuff. And he was talking about how like, You have to find, no matter what happens, no matter all the bullshit, no, all the life's bullshit, all the different dramas that happen in your life, our art and our storytelling are what keep us alive and what keep us going. And I feel like, like you're saying, you shared these stories of like you have an abusive boyfriend who's like <laughs> shitting on your your, yeah. your your story. And I'm like, yeah. my God, this is... And and you still I'm, I'm I'm you went and you went on in this retreat and I'm guessing oh yes I went on this retreat and I was and I and I was like it was it was so hard for me you know what I mean yeah. I was like I'm gonna present this material yeah you know and they just gave me all all the encouragement I needed all the love I needed all the support to just drive that project forward. Um, and so it ended up being a solo show that I did, I did produce that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and listen, it wasn't, there was a lot of heartbreak in that, like, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of mistakes that I made. There's a lot of mistakes in like the people who I chose to work with on that. That's I mean, always I, is the case. I mean, I, yeah. the, I, I connect with you so much because your one woman show, I'm guessing is what kind of was the trajectory that led you to then 
pick up the mic and become a stand-up. Well, you know what's interesting is that it's like I didn't even consider that like doing comedy. I considered it like okay, this is so solo work. You know? Solo work, storytelling. Yeah. Same with me. And right? I like and I and I put so much into that. I really just like put my heart and my soul into it. And um, I had these managers at the time and. You know, it was just, you know, <sighs> and so I had a friend at the time who was a TV agent at a really big agency and she was like, hey, I really want to work with you. Um, but, and she shared clients with my managers and mm-hmm. she did not like my managers and she's like, so she's like, but, and she like brought me into the agency and she's like, I met these other agents that were going to be my team and they were just like blowing all the smoke up my ass. They were like, you're going to be our ethnic Whitney Cummings. Like you're a visionary. You're going to have multiple shows on the air at the same time. And of course I was like, yes, I am. Um, yeah, and you are. And I are. And I are. Uh, yeah, you are. And you is, girl. You gonna. <laughs> you for you for shizzles, gonna. You know. No, but no, really, no. Yeah. You are. But like, but, I, but I, to, there's I a lot just, of people yeah. who will tell you a lot of stuff. Exactly, here. and I would just I feel like at that point in my journey in LA, I didn't understand like how full of shit people are. I mean, you know, and that it's well, like it's just that's really you know. I'm at a, I'm at a point now with representation because I heard a story about Bill Murray. Okay. And Bill Murray has a one eight hundred number that you call. And you pitch what you want Bill Murray to do. What? And then he'll listen to it. And if he likes it, he'll put you in contact with his lawyer. And his lawyer will get the contracts. Really? Yeah. Like, so he has a lawyer. And really, yeah. in, the, in this game, that's really all you need is a lawyer to read yeah. the contracts to make sure you're not signing your life away. But other than that, like... No, I mean, everything I you do in this business... Yeah. I mean, unless... Okay, I think it is different for an actor. An actor, you do need someone to get you auditions, right? I do. I do and I don't. Because I'd rather just write my own shit. Yeah. I'd rather produce my own stuff. Yeah. I'd rather do this podcast. I'd rather yeah. tell your story and my story as we're, you know, cohesively, you know, having a wonderful conversation. Yeah. I'd rather do that. I'd ra- I, I, I don't, I don't, I've spent 20 years looking for the approval of Hollywood. Right. And I already know I'm good. I don't need to worry about it. I'll just put it out there. Yeah. You know? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I would just say of the creative pursuits, sure. acting's probably the one that's most challenging to do without it, an agent. It, it, it's hard to do without an agent, but yeah. I've, it's funny because I've only had a commercial agent out here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Even since 2006. And I've created and produced literally everything that I've done to the point where I even can have a weekly podcast and have people like Melanie Morris come to my house and I can interview them because I don't, I don't need anybody. Yeah. You don't need anybody well, as an I mean, artist. The thing is, is that truthfully, like, and it's crazy because it's like, you know, before you move here, you kind of think like, I had this crazy idea in my head. I'm from the, the mm-hmm. no, no. Are. Yeah. I had this idea. I'm like, Oh, like you, you, you sign with an agent and then that's it. Like yeah. you're done. You know what I mean? And like, then you just, and you just audition five times a week and you give you book two of yeah. those and then you're, you're making yeah. 10 grand a month and you're good to go. Yeah. And like, and I signed with like a big agent and like managers before I even moved here. And I was like, I'm a star, you know, I'm mm-hmm. like, see you at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that nobody tells you is that like, actually your agents don't do anything for you. And like, actually you have to do everything for yourself. Like everything I've gotten in my career, like I got it for myself. And that's where that's why for me I'm at a point now where, yes, for sure, do I want representation to take me to another level? Of course, but I'm not going to let them not you know acknowledge everything that I've already built along the way by myself. Yeah. And I feel like that's where we as artists now are empowered by the internet by, you know forms of podcasting and producing our own shows yeah. and doing our own things because nowadays I feel like it's not even as I, and now as a comedian, you know, like you're a brand, right? You're a, yeah. whatever it is, even as an actor, you're a brand, you're, you're, you're a brand, right? They even tell you to incorporate yourself some right when you start making money and I'll just build that brand. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you have to. You have to. You have to. Absolutely. You have to because nobody else, like your agents will say, oh, you're going to be this and you're going to be that and, and we'll help you do this and you're going to be, and oh, you're, it's just because it's going to be easy. And really, like you said. No, you have to have a vision You have for yourself. to do it for yourself. Yeah, you absolutely do. And if you're not going to, if you don't have a plan for yourself, 
it's going to be very hard for you out here because yeah. oh, for sure because the, the the agents won't call no oh my god sometimes they don't they don't pick up your calls you know um yeah i mean it's just it's so different than what you think it's going to be but anyway so i meet with this agency mm-hmm. Keep in mind, this is like a friend of mine, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. Um, And she's like, okay, we want to sign you. Uh, And she's like, the only thing is, is that I don't want, I want to get you new managers. I don't want to work with your managers anymore. And she's like, so you have to fire them before we'll sign you. And she's like, in fact, I'm going to call them today and fire them for you. And it was, it was a terrible mistake, you know? Mm. And because what happened then is that she fired my managers and then she, and she'd been like, oh, I'm going to set all these meetings for you like next week. Then she didn't set any meetings for me. Then she was like, oh, we're going to pitch a TV show. So then I sent her all these pitches. Then she's like, actually, you need to write a pilot first. Then, and I mean, and it was just like, she, it just got to the point where she was like not returning my phone calls. She wasn't returning my emails. She was having her assistant not return my phone calls, my emails. Then she left the agency to go work at a production company. So she wasn't even on the representation side anymore. And all, by the way, she knew she's going to leave the agency when she is having these meetings with me telling me she wants to hire me. So she completely fucked me. So then I had like no reps, you know? And I really, at that point, I just felt so disillusioned. I was mm-hmm. like, what am I even doing here? Mm-hmm. Like, in this fucking place where people have no integrity, like, they say something and then the words just float away. Like, they never even said them, mm-hmm. you know? I'm like, I right. want to be around people where it's like, you know, you, you're a person of your word. Your word means something. Amen. That's you a, know? And that's part of why I just do my own shit. Yeah. Because I know I call in the people that I can trust yeah. or that respond to my message like you did, you know, and you were like, part of the reason why I knew why this podcast was going to be bomb was because of your, the way you responded to the just professional. <laughs> you would be surprised how hard it is for people to follow directions on a direct message on Facebook. When I say to text me their headshot and then they send it on whatever they want to send it on. It's great. I'm like, for real? <laughs> it's just, it's a strange place we live in because yeah. there's a lot of folks that want to do a lot of things. Like people will reach out to you and ask you to do the podcast and then not show up for the interview. And what? Yeah. Like oh, weird shit, no. you know, but, but at the same time, it's why I do this is to connect with folks who are, to connect with the real ones. Yeah. The real ones. <laughs> no, it's true. It's, it's true. true. It's true. It's true because... First, the real ones are going to tell cool stories that they share with everybody. And this is a two-time moth champion, so you know she's going to tell. I mean, she's been telling crazy stories already. But, but it's, it's, you separate the real ones from the wannabes, really, yeah. when, it comes, when it comes to all of it. You know, because like you just did Sticky Rice and I know PK, PK, I'm going to, I've been reaching out to PK to do the show and, and Michael Yo to do the show. I've loved it. And Michael Yo does podcasting and and he does the live podcast with the, with the cameras because he's high tech and got, (laughs) you know, he's got more money than me. So I'm, I'm trying to get to to Michael Yo's level, but at the same time, that's what we have to do. Yeah. Almost. So you have to be multimedia artists if you want to be anything, whether it's an actor stand-up comedian, writer, whatever it is, yeah. as, a, as an actor or, or as a person of color in this business, it's very hard to just be one thing. Or you're, you can't rely on just being an actor. Very few of us can do that. Or very few of us can just rely on being a writer. And when you can, we probably know your name because you're famous, because you're able to do that stuff. But when you're still struggling and grinding and trying to get it, and trying to like at least make money at this game so you can support, in my case, and support my family. Yeah. You got to do everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, that's true. You really do. Um, but it, I mean, you, and it's also just like you have to just be a self-perpetuating machine. Um, and so you got to figure out like how to fire up the machine, you know? <laughs> no, it's... Because sometimes it's, you just want to take the machine to the junkyard. So... I know that we talked about open mics. We don't do. How do you come up with new material? What's what's or or do you come up with? Do you have you honed your set? Because that that's kind of me. I've kind of done the same fifteen for the past four years. Like I built it, but for the past four years, I've kind of built the past same fifteen, 
and I'll pretty much sometimes I'll deviate depending on the crowd. Like I'll start to, you know, do some crowd work or whatever. But for the most part, for the past three and a half years, I've done my solid 15 that I've built and I've methodically like tell the same joke every single time. So how do you do it? What's your process? Because I don't, I don't do open mics and I don't test material out. I just test it whenever I get booked on a show. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I constantly, um, generate new, new content, like new material. I mean, you know, you just have to, I just think you just have to be willing to take a risk. You know what I mean? Sure. To be willing to think this might not land right, or this might not be funny. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I think that it's like, if you're just fully present mm-hmm. with the audience and like you're, they, and they're there with you and it's like, it's something that you find funny or perplexing mm-hmm. or whatever. They're, they're most likely willing to take yeah. the journey with you. And it's like, I think a lot of times, I mean, it depends, right? Because it's like, there's different kinds of comedians, but I think it's like, if you can bring something to the audience that feels like really fresh and it feels like it's just happening in the moment, like for them, mm-hmm. then and, and and listen, it's like absolutely like you should be able to do that with material that you've had for years. Sure, years. sure, sure. But it's like I think if you are actually just present in the moment, and they'll go on the ride with you. Oh no, I I I, I totally agree with you. I'm yeah. I, I mean I mean it's more about for me. That's how I write it, like I go on the ride with the audience, and like I have one thing that I want to talk about. Yeah. And then if the audience is feeling it, then I'll keep going. Yeah. And from that, I'll, oh, okay, cool. That worked. Yeah. I'm going to take that and I'll put it in my pocket and I'll yeah. put it in for the set. Yeah. Right? And then when it's like a real, like, oh, you got 15 minutes or you're headlining or you're doing right, this, right. then I bring out all the little snippets of things that I can do. And then depending, you know, yeah. yes, it's definitely, it, it's a process. I mean, for me, like where... Because I feel like, because I was watching your stand-up, and I was, I was watching, <laughs> no, 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 I was watching it, and it's very similar, because we started in a very similar place, yeah. even in, in the way that, with storytelling, yeah. so there's always a overarching story to your, or, or there, in the sets that I've seen, there's yeah. like an overarching story to your set, peppered with a whole bunch of different jokes that, yeah, no, that it feel like you've... For me, as yeah. as a person watching it, yeah. feel like you've told this story a bunch of times, and you've found all these little wonderful kernels of jokes at as you've told the story a bunch of different times, and now here's this presentable like joke, 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 joke. But here's the end, and here's this story with the solution at the end, which is super cool to me. And that's yeah. the kind of style that I try to follow. That's why I ask. Your oh process. yeah, no, for sure. I definitely, if it's a story that like I've been telling for years, you're absolutely right, and it is like in the telling of it that it's like you find okay, this m- moment's really funny, or you mind yeah. this moment, you're like okay, that moment's not working, take it away. Yeah. So it's like yeah, a story I tell now is not the same story I would tell three years. Right. Ago. Exactly. Yeah. Or like I mean, honestly, it's like if I go back, I look at footage of that solo show. It's painful for me to watch it. I'm like, oh. painful, really? Oh yeah, because it's like I just wasn't as confident as I am now. I feel you. Okay. So I just, and also it's like, I wasn't doing, I wasn't even doing standup yet at that time. Sure. So yeah, I mean, basically what happened is I had no reps. I felt like totally disillusioned. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I just told myself, I just want to do something that I can control, that I have full control. Mm-hmm. Of. And that was when I decided to start doing standup. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and, and I had always wanted to try it. You know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. like, of course, I'm sure you're also a person who people are always like, oh, you should try stand-up or like, oh, whatever. And all throughout my whole life. Oh, yeah, exactly. And the first time my dad, the first time I did stand-up in Chicago, my dad came up to me after the show. And I had been acting since 97 at that point. And he goes, you should have been doing this 10 years ago. Well, first of all, I can't believe your dad came to your first stand-up show. Well, he was in Chicago. And That's was, pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah no, my, my, my parents have been... Stupid supportive, like oh, throughout amazing. the whole thing, like yeah. the whole my my first play, my mom gave me flowers and it said, oh. "I love you. I'll see you at the Emmys." Oh Love my mom. God, that's so sweet. That, yeah, my I would not 
at all have the confidence to do any of the things that I do without the wonderful, beautiful love that I was given by my parents throughout my whole life. And, and still to this day, I mean, I can't even hang, I can't even hang with my kids all the, you know, without my parents' help. I mean, my parents still help me function even to this day. So Do they live here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they moved awesome. they moved from Chicago after yeah. I started doing stand up and having kids. Yeah. And they were like this fool needs some help. Yeah. <laughs> so they moved here to California and the, oh and now they've helped when when I need a babysitter, just, you know, come That's over so and bring amazing. barbecue over. Yeah, my, my my parents are the most supportive parents you could ever like there's this, you know, Joy Regalano has a story about supportive white parents. I got supportive Asian parents for real like oh my like God. it's real. You're probably also the only comic that has supportive like. Uh, I, it's a trip to me because I always yeah. feel bad. Like when I went, like because I'll bring up all different comics and they'll talk talk about their stories of sickness or like their mom died or like their dad was a shitty person or whatever else. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, my dad's great. My mom's awesome. <laughs> I don't have any problems in my life. I grew up in a nice middle class family in Chicago, and I mean, most of the stuff that, like how everybody says that comics have to go through like bullshit and shittiness. Yeah. And most of that stuff was the bullies. And the racism growing up as a kid. Yeah. So that's why most of my comedies centered around representation and racism and talking about our relationship between white people and black people and all the different... That, that's, that's where I want to live all yeah. day because that's kind of what raised me. And the comedy that... Comedy is what saved me when, you know, I'd be in a room full of white kids and they didn't know what I was. And I'd say Filipino and they'd be like, what the fuck is that? Really in Chicago? Oh, in in nineteen eighty in the in the in the seventies and eighties, yeah. Oh yeah, oh, God. yeah. No, we I grew up in a Polish and Italian neighborhood in Chicago, and they didn't even know what Filipino was. They kept calling us what? Puerto. They called us Puerto Rican for oh, like the first God. ten years That's that so we lived ignorant. there. Yeah, no, but that, no. I mean, but people think that like Chicago is this big, progressive city. Even you know because Barack Obama came from there and all this other. It, that's a very it's a very segregated city too like yeah. and we, I grew up in a very segregated like it was a very white neighborhood and yeah. Italians and, and and Polish folks aren't necessarily known for you know like I mean even in Italy you know it's it they're very racist when it comes to the color of your skin so it was tough it was tough growing up yeah but that's I'm not mad at it because that's what grew that Brought me to what, what I am today. It's your origin story. Yeah, exactly. It's all good. Yeah. What's your origin story? Oh, God. Like, what, like, you know, what, what, what motivates your comedy? Like, what... Because I know you, you, you talk about a lot about your relationships. You talk about a lot about, you know, like, different yeah. things. So what, what motivates you? What's your... What's your... Your comedic hypothesis? <laughs> comedic <laughs> hypothesis? I don't know my comedic hypothesis is. Um, I don't know. I think that I... I grew up like I had so much shame about just being myself, you okay. know, and I had so much shame about being a girl and like, you know, my body, my sexuality, like my failures, my mm -hmm. feelings, and I was just ashamed about everything, you know, and so I do feel like doing comedy is just like the absolute opposite yeah. response to growing up to yeah. all that shame of like, because the thing is, is like if if you bring your shame out into the light, it doesn't control you anymore. Exactly. You know, and it doesn't have power over mm -hmm. you. And also, when you bring that shame out into the light, like you actually shine a light for other people who are it's feeling a, the same thing. Exactly. And the confidence yeah. that you exude on stage in sharing that helps them through yeah. that. Maybe they can't do exactly what you're doing, but through you sharing your story, that empathy. Yeah. Is what and and that's that's the theme of this podcast. <laughs> no, for real, share your story, share our story. Yeah, because you know whether it be Indonesian, Chinese, Japanese, any a, a woman, a young girl that looks like you, yeah, you know, is feeling funky about herself, might hear this podcast and talk about, oh wow, maybe I can tell some jokes because for I mean for me, comedy saved my life. Yeah, because when the kids would throw racist jokes at me. I'd make them laugh, you know, or I'd, or I'd make a funny joke about myself, you know, yeah. self-deprecating joke about myself, and they would laugh, and then they'd be my friend. It's a survival technique. It, it's, so, it's so such a survival technique, yeah. especially when you are such a fish out of water, when you, yeah. are, not, when you are not like everyone else. Yeah. 
it 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 helps you to. I mean, and and for me, I don't know of any other survival technique really because whenever I'm even like crazy people working in my customer service jobs, you know, the, all I got to do is just make them laugh and hopefully it'll diffuse the situation. But comedy, man, it just, it's a lifesaver. It is. <laughs> it I really mean, it is. is. Yeah. And also it's like, you know, if you're a person who in like darkness, you can find comedy. It's, it's, it, it's just for you, you know, it's, mm. it, 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 a lot of times is the only thing that pulls you through it. It's true. I mean, well, because like, like you said, you had a lot of drama with your agents and you didn't really know where you were going with anything. Yeah. And it was through that one woman show, that one person show that you wrote and, and, and finding your own voice, which really enabled you to kind of get through that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's actually, it was like, it was starting to do stand up after that. Okay. That really kind of gave me like a renewed focus and also it was just... Because also it was like I was listening to like a lot of bullshit about what kind of things I should write about. Or mm-hmm. Like, you know, all of these like tempering of like yes. my ideas, you know, and it's like yes. you forget. It's like, I'm the creative, like I'm the talent. You're yes. pushing papers around. Like, yes. you can't do what I do. Exactly. Um, and so I just, I didn't want to temper my voice anymore. You no, know, and I, feel I, you. and I didn't want to put it through a filter. And I think that stand up has made me so such a better writer and um, sharpened my instincts in so many ways, and also just made me so much better. So, like I'm amazing at pitching. <laughs> I'm great in a room, you know. No, it, um, okay, like between stand up and podcasting. Yeah, I am not afraid. How long you want me to talk? Okay, cool. Give me. You know, I don't yeah. care. It's yeah. like so empowering like the literal term stand up yeah like i've been thinking about it like it it, it, because it's really about standing up for yourself and telling your story and and your voice and it's such an empowering thing and i don't know that i could i don't know what else i want to do now with my life besides doing stand-up. I mean, yes, I would love to act again. I'd love to do stage. I'd love to do theater. Uh, all of it. I, I still want to do all of it, but stand-up will always be a part of it because, I don't know. Like you said, it was it was like you, in, that, in that interview where you said you were always a comedian. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, I just, I didn't. I just didn't know it, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And it, I actually, I, had, I went to drama school in New York. I went to a place called Maggie Flanagan Studio. It was, okay. like, it was a Meisner studio, you know? Okay, Meisner. Oh, my yeah. goodness. You remember. It's like... Oh. Oh, you're like... <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I love my, my acting training, but at the same time, some of that stuff was so frustrating, and, like, I, I, I don't know that I would want to do it again, like, some of it. I, you know, I loved going to drama school and like, I'm not an actor and I don't consider myself an actor. Mm -hmm. And very quickly after graduating from drama school, I realized like, oh, this is not for me. Like, this is not a life. Right. Right. I am interested in listening. Sure. 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 Um, but I loved that experience. Like for me, that was like my first, anything that even resembled therapy for me was like going into that. Oh no. I loved, I loved it. I loved it. But as you got into like more of the, like you know, the method and Meisner techniques and all the repetitive stuff and all that stuff. I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I kind of want to just do a play now because, yeah, <laughs> sure. because I, I didn't, because yeah. I never, I didn't go to school for acting. Yeah. I graduated with a writing degree, Yeah, which is weird because we both started writing, but, but it, but, um, I started with a writing degree and then took an elective course and was like, Ooh, I want to try acting yeah. and then took an acting class, loved it. And was like, let's go. Let's go. And I just, and, Took, I think it was Acting 101 at Act 1 Studios in Chicago. And then the teacher at the end of the class said, did you take your headshots yet? And I said, no, I haven't gotten them yet. She's like, go get your headshots done and then start mailing them to the agencies here in Chicago because you're going to work. And I was like, okay, cool. And that's exactly what I did. And I was, and I learned on the job. That was kind of how it, like acting for me was... I really did just learn on the job. And for me, yes, I took an acting class here and there. The only classes that really fulfilled me and made me like, this is like, 
solidified, okay, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. Improv. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I started, I, again, in Chicago at Second City and Improv Olympic. With, yeah. I was the last class to study with Dell. Close. Oh, wow. Yeah, he died in the middle of our 7A and 7B. Oh, So my I literally God. was the last class oh, with Dell. Oh, my Del. God. And Dan Bacadell was in our class. And, yeah, it was me and Dan. And, yeah, so I, I, I will always, I love the training. And it, it was eye-opening, all wonderful. But you never learn more than when you're actually doing it. Like you said, like yeah, when, you're doing, when you were actually doing stand-up yeah. and you threw away all the pretense of everything else and you were just up there with that mic and it was just you and that mic, it, it's a different, wonderful energy. Um, that is, the, it, is, it, is, it's a, it is a master teacher. Um, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. You, you, there's nothing else better than, than, than being up there on the mic, feeling the energy of the crowd and saying your story and then feeling it out and seeing what happens. Because, oh man, it's, it's so exhilarating. I don't know that there's anything else like it. I mean, I, I try to make cannabis work. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it, it's okay. It's not the same. It's not the same, but it's not as exhilarating. No, it's not. I mean, not. I haven't, I haven't done, I've never done a, a ketamine drip. Okay, okay. You know, I mean, that's the new, that's, that's that's the that's the new thing that all depression. the kids are doing. No, oh. it's for depression. Oh, I didn't realize. Oh yeah, yeah, oh. it's like a doctor administered thing. Okay. Um, so I haven't done a ketamine drip, so I can't compare it to a ketamine drip. But all the other drugs I have done, nothing. Good stand up is better. Yeah. Good no, good stand up is always better. Yeah. I've, I can. Honestly say, even in the four years that I've done it, I can only remember like a handful of times where it really felt like that. But oh, yeah, it, no, it's, it's the, those moments when it's that good, it's so few and far between. Oh yeah, for sure. But it's like, that's the only thing that would get you back on stage. Like what else could get you back Well, on it's stage? like, it, it's like that crack. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh my God, I got to I got to well, I've never done crack, Eric. I don't know. I can't say for sure. Why are you trying to? See, look at that. She, she, she put me out first. See, I'm turning now again to the mic like yeah, she pointed out my performance. He's doing it aside. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now she's telling me, I didn't, I've not, I've not smoked crack. I'm just telling I've not smoked crack at all. Ever. Ever. This is Eric doing as an aside. I'm doing podcast. an aside. There's literally no video. I'm videoing him just to capture this. Well, I'm practicing because one day I'll have cameras and we'll go live every time. You this know, and then I'll like, have Melanie back on. This is Eric's version of um, Fleabag where he breaks the fourth wall for his podcast listeners. Get it right. It's Deadpool. Okay. Oh, Deadpool. Deadpool. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm the brown Ryan Reynolds. Okay. That's what everybody says. <laughs> We recorded all of that. Yeah. And she went live on her camera. Well, she didn't go live. You just videoed it. On my it. camera? On your what camera. I'm, you? a, I'm an old man. Are you my great-grandfather? Yes, I am. Well, you know what? I'm not going to ask how old you are because that's not a nice to ask a lady. But um, I'm a chameleon. I'm ageless, Eric. There you go. You are. You're like, you're like um, Tilda Swinton. You're the... I'm the, ageless. I'm sexless. Yeah. I can't be defined by a species or a race. Um, don't define, don't put her in boxes. Yeah. But, oh, the reason I brought up drama school is because I, I went through the drama school, went through mm-hmm. the whole thing, you know? And it's like, I remember, you know, at the end, you know, we were doing these really dramatic scenes. I mm-hmm. can't even remember, you know? Like, think like Tennessee Williams, something like that. Sure, right? sure, sure, sure. And I'm doing this scene, and like the scene is so dramatic, and I'm weeping in the scene, and it's like, you know, goodbye forever scene. You're acting. I'm acting. And then at the end of the scene, you know, our teacher, she would, you know, she would give us like feedback, commentary or whatever. Sure. Review. And I remember she just looked at me and she was like, you're a comedian. And at that moment, I didn't understand what she was saying. You know what mm. I mean? I've got snot running down my face. I've got my props, you know? And I just, I didn't, I, it took me, that was such a long time ago. That was like a different life, you sure. know? And it's like, it took me so long to process that, but I'm like, oh, she she knew it was so obvious. It no, so, it's true. So it just wasn't obvious to me. Well, I mean, comedy is tragedy, right? It's the two sides of the coin. Yeah. 
I mean, it's two, the two sides of the mask, right? Yeah. That that yeah. that theater mask. Yeah. There's the happy one and the sad. Because there's always a butt of a joke, no matter what. There's always somebody who's gonna be the person that we're laughing at. And yeah. sometimes when it's tragic, I mean, how many times have we laughed at Lucille Ball crying at, at some craziness? You know, because yeah. because it's funny in that situation and like you said finding the funny even in the dark times that's a skill of a comedian to be able to do that even when you're crying and bawling and you can still ultimately make the performance comedic it's pretty that's a pretty good gift to have it's our gift Eric well it is yeah that's our gift and that was the gift that we had for you in this podcast yeah. is our comedic gifts. We gave and shared. He's doing his aside just so Our comedic know. gifts. Look He's at this. I am never having comedic. Melanie on again because she busts me out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to have you on all the time. And we should, because we, seriously, you're incredible. Like, oh, no, you. I'm serious. Like, your energy, we have such a, a similar story too. Yeah. It's pretty... Storytelling, baby. No, for serious. Yeah. We're going to host a show together. Yeah, well, I mean... We I should. Just, we should. Don't you feel like all the comics who it's like they're... They really resonate with you. It's the comics who... It's it's not one-liners. It's not punchlines. It's, it's the story, you know? Well, I mean... I talk about Eddie Murphy Delirious yeah. on this podcast shit every other podcast because it was it was this special that I recorded on my boombox in fifth grade and fucking listened to walking to and from school every day right that that was the thing that flipped my script right was Eddie Murphy Delirious and if you look at and you study and you listen to Eddie Murphy Delirious every single one is here's a story yeah here's a story yeah here's a story and then you pepper each one of the stories with your little jokes and asides and your crowd work and you pepper your little story with jokes and asides and it's that's literally the style that I try to follow because it's the style that I grew up listening to and watching and storytelling to me is that I don't, I don't find those one liner comics memorable. Well, yeah, because it doesn't touch you in a a deep way. And I think when you tell stories, when you share stories and make people laugh, it's not only memorable, but it resonates. You get, you can get that empathy because you're, you're sharing an yeah. experience with people. Yeah. And I, and I don't think that, well, I mean, there's, stuff, there's something to be said for all different styles and there's yeah, different absolutely. styles for everybody. Absolutely. But for me and I, and I would think also for you, our styles are so similar. And that's part of the reason again, why you're on this podcast whenever you want. Oh. And you can you can bust you know me out. I love that you had on here is Rodney Toe. That's my homie. I love Rodney. Rodney, I mean, all of the people that I've had on this podcast. First, when I look at back at the roster of folks that I've had, first I'm like, how the fuck did I get these cool ass people to come to my house and talk to me for an hour? But I'm also just I'm 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 so happy and grateful that these people are all a part of my lives and I'm so happy to have met you today yeah I'm like we're brand new we, I've never met you before this is a beautiful moment see look at she just did an aside guys <laughs> I have an effect on her <laughs> no I, I do I really I really enjoy meeting people who are kindred spirits yeah that's why I think this podcast is going to be called kindred spirits I because we're very similar Huh? It already had a name, your podcast. No, I'm talking about the title of this one. Oh, the, oh, each episode has e- a title? Each episode has, like Rodney's is the romance of Rodney because we oh, did okay. the romance of Magna Rubio together. Okay. And we talked about that a lot in the podcast, so I called it the romance of Ma- Rodney. Rodney, um, he did, he was in this show in New York, uh, the Bleecker Street Theater. That uh-huh. was like, that's how, that was like my first introduction to him. It's the funniest thing I have ever seen in my whole life. Which, I, went, I saw it three times. What, what's it the, was called Sides, yes. the musical. Yes, we talked about that on the podcast. And it was and all um, yeah. Asian American cast. And he plays, and, Oh my yes. God, he played this character. The Asian director. This like, yeah, Filipino director named like Ding Ding. Yeah. Um, and I... It's based off of the director that we worked with. Really? Yeah. Oh my God, I... I like came, I brought friends, like they brought friends, like we just kept, and I like, I was like assaulted him afterwards and you know, I was Rodney is, that he is an amazing, amazing. I wish that they would do that, but they would remount sides the musical. It's my You hear that Rodney? Is your foot remount sides? Look at that. But he's so busy. He's doing so many things now. He's on, he's too busy doing HBO shit to remount sides. He's got time. 
You hear that, Rodney? There's your challenge from Melanie. Yeah. She said, go remount sides. Yeah. I'm going to ask you. Yes. And I'm going to say it here. I'm going to put it out here. Okay. You and I should co-host a new show that we were talking about earlier. It's called Storyoki. A live show. A live show. Just like my Miscellaneous Browns karaoke comedy yeah. spectacular. But instead of stand-up comedians, yeah. we bring storytellers. Yes. And then they sing karaoke after their, their story. And it'll be... Bomb. That's what, you finished my sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm, I might even have a new co-host here. I might have to just ask Melanie to come over every time and just co-host with me so she can check me and, 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 and point out when every time I do an aside as I'm doing currently doing aside. He, he literally cannot stop I can't. himself from doing aside. I won't ever yeah. stop. And Don't then, stop. And I'm going to do it to the camera when I do it next. When oh, I have there's, a camera. okay. When listeners, there's a camera. Listeners, there is a, there's a mirror on the opposite side to the microphone and that's where he looks to, I've to never. Lo- I did not look over there even once. He just did it. I just did once because I said this is where the camera will be. I know he does it all the time when I'm not here. It's true, I do. <laughs> Melanie, Thank you so much for being on my show. But before we go, we need to tell everybody where we can find you. Miss Melanie Maras. Tell them Trouble Jones. You can find me all over the internet. Um, I'm at Trouble Jones on Instagram and Twitter. I'm hilarious. I'm funny. I do amazing posts. Um, You can also check out my website, MelanieMaras.com. Most importantly, please watch my comedy special. It's on Tubi TV. Tubi is a free streaming platform. It is on your Apple TV, your Roku. You can just watch it straight off your laptop. You can watch it on your phone whilst you're sitting on the loo. Um, And it's called Brash Girls Club, and there's links to it all over my social media and at my website, www.melaniemaras.com. Wow. That was like a PSA thing. That was amazing. Melanie Maras, guys. Check her out all over at Trouble Jones, she's got the second coolest name on the internet to me, Miscellaneous Brown. Later, y'all. <laughs>